The following presentation was recorded live by the Jewish Ethics Institute. Okay, so um, I don't know if you've seen in the news lately, there's a lot of discussion yesterday, few day, the last few days about the, between the various um, politicians, there's, uh, things are heating up for 2016, major issues uh, being discussed. So one of the quote-unquote major issues was the question of, question of uh, vaccinations. So it's, it's turning into a major 2016 oh, the, political the, issue. The, the, uh, Christie and uh, some other yachts are on the line. I can't believe that they could have been so, <laughs> so, so, uh, oh, these are not stupid people. Christie isn't a stupid person, but, uh, I think they need, uh, and Ron Paul is, uh, not Ron Paul, yeah, Paul. Uh, uh, Rand Paul, Rand Paul is also <clears throat> on the line. He's teaming seen too many people with autism, except they've shown that there's no relationship. That's ridiculous. Right, so the, the autism always strikes, it presents at the same time, that the, right after the vaccinations are given, it's, it's, it's predictable. What, what are you saying? When that a baby, get, you know, we vaccinate kids at like 18 months of age, or 16, whatever. That's usually when you're saying the autism. And that's when autism presents. Yeah. Right. So if, if, you know, also, it happens to be you saying around the same time. Yeah. So if you wait, if you if you serve the child a hamburger, <laughs> right at the same time, the same, the same, and then the next day he came down with autism. I guess you could say that the hamburger then, caused the autism. Was it kosher or not kosher? You hamburger? got him back. That's the whole thing. Back. I got both of them. Yeah. Okay. Good. So so there was a uh, the the I think part of it is the GOP politicians need to outdo the you know they just need to show that they're. Pandering to their right wing, uh, you know, to, wait, the, to right, the right. Wait, which is right wing? Which is right? No, I'm wing. saying that the idea is people have that, to blame uh, something other than government should. It's really they, what Christie said, by the way. To be fair, passing on the is taken out of context. Meaning they they want to show that government, Rand Paul especially, is more a libertarian than a than a Republican. So he has to show that the government is not in charge. And you can't have government mandated. That's the question here. Who's in charge of the children? Is it the parents or the government? So the government, it's against the libertarian uh, philosophy you know, to have the government mandating how you should treat your kids. Only one it's up to the parent. There's probably only one time, in my view, where the government should get involved. Well, that's health. Well, I mean, you know, no, you listen, it's no different. Listen, yesterday they passed a law, the, right, the House passed against Obamacare, which is the same argument. Can the government mandate for me to buy health insurance? So why is this different? Meaning, can the government mandate me to, to be inoculated? Why isn't that my decision about my own children? There's so like many things like this. Education, housing, food, you're right. health, the libertarian, abortion, the libertarian view you know, is, for is the government, the less rules, the better. So I understand. That's the question. So it's not necessarily buying into the aspect of, you know, is it related to autism or not? It's just, should the government be mandating how I should take care of my children? Well, the problem is that you may not take care of your children, and then you're going to, uh, you may not be taking care of your children. Your kid has the measles, and he's sitting in the doctor's office with some newborn baby that's yeah. not ready to have right. so the that's, measles. That's now he right. gives that new, he, your <laughs> child yeah. gives the measles to some newborn young child who promptly up and dies. Right, so you're right. So that's the question. Society, how does that work with society versus the individual? So, so we're going to talk yeah. about all that. 
So, but this is from yesterday's New York Times. I believe it's yesterday's. Yesterday was the second. This is yesterday's New York Times. Measles outbreak proves delicate issue to GOP field. So he quoted, I'll tell you how many politicians. It says that the latest measles outbreak raised alarm and parents who have decided not to vaccinate their children face growing pressure to do so. The national debate is forcing the Republican Party's 2016 presidential hopefuls to confront questions about whether it is in the public's interest to allow parents to decide for themselves. Chris Christie's trade mission to London was suddenly overshadowed on Monday after he, quoted, after he was quoted as saying that parents, quote, need to have some measure of choice about vaccinating their children against measles. Um, that's one. Then it says, Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky, physician, was less equivocal, telling the conservative radio host Laura Ingram on Monday that parents should absolutely have a say in whether to vaccinate their children from measles. They should absolutely say a say. Which is, yes, they, they should do it. It's a yeah. quote. He says, well, I think it's a good idea to take the vaccine. I think that's a personal, personal decision for individuals, end quote, he said, recalling his irritation at doctors who tried to press him to vaccinate his own children. He eventually did, he said, but spaced out the vaccinations over a period of time. Um, who else they quote him? There's Hillary. There is, I read some physicians. I like Hillary's. She did a tweet. She sent out a tweet. I like Hillary Rodham Quilton also waiting with a jab at vaccine naysayers, writing Monday night on Twitter, quote, the science is clear, the earth is round, the sky is blue, and vaccines work, end quote. Good. <coughs> Howard <like> Dean. <laughs> She's right. And Obama isn't. Well, she didn't add that. But yes. uh, Obama also, by the way, said some interesting stuff. But it says, um, then Howard Dean, presidential candidate in 2004, former chairman of the Democratic National Committee, Jack said, "quote One is people who are very much one is people who are very much scared about their kids getting autism, which is an idea that is completely discredited. Two is entitled people who don't want to put any poison in their kids and view this as poison, which is ignorance more than anything else. Yeah. And three, people who are anti-government in any way. Okay." But the truth, as Mr. Dean's position, is you can be conservative without putting kids in harm's way. Okay, then uh, Rick Perry. Has I don't know why this whole thing is such an issue. They may not be able to uh, legislate whether your child can get vac- vaccinated, but you can legislate whether your child can go to a public school if he hasn't been vaccinated. Right, so Rick Perry, then, text, then the Texas governor, pounced on him for issuing an executive order requiring sixth grade girls to be vaccinated against the human papillomavirus, first regulation of its kind in the country. So Texas actually was one of the first states that, that mandated it. Um, where's Obama, I was actually missing the rest of the article, but Obama actually um, was quoted um, as saying, not uh, now, but in a, uh, I, I just don't take. understand why, why the right wing can't just be honest and say vaccina- vaccinations are fine. Like well, they are I, saying they're not. They're, they're just saying it should be. A, the question is, should it be the know, parents' but choice? They're, they're or trying not? to make it a political thing, but it's not really a political thing. It's a scientific thing. Mm, no, they're not, not exactly. arguing on the science. Uh, many of them are saying the science is true. No one is really. But well, I don't know one, but 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 they're saying is, it should still should be the parents' choice. Why? Mm-hmm. Well, it wouldn't need to be a law if there weren't so many butthead parents. I, that's true. So, but I'm saying, live if if Ed Tyler was here, he'd be saying, it's not the government's job to be telling you how to treat your kids. That's, I mean, that's I, don't, the issue. I don't. I mean, listen. Can I we like mandate? Can we force a parent to inoculate their child? But we force them to get educated. We force all kids to be educated until the age of what, sixteen? Right. So we force them. 
Right, but the libertarian position would be that's a mistake too. I understand, but we nonetheless we've made choices that we have to feed the kids, we have to clothe the kids, we have to shelter the kids, we have to educate the kids, and we have to vaccinate have vaccinate the, the kids. State interest to have heavy, healthy right, so kids. We don't okay. force them to get educated. We force them to go to school. I have two kids. I think I have one kid that I think did that. He's a lawyer now. What does that tell you? But. What about if you, if you could get around it by just saying that you can't go to this school unless you're vaccinated because you present, if you're not vaccinated, you present they a public health risk yeah, so that, to that's, all so the that's other possible. children. That's possible. Trying to find what Obama, Obama, by the way, said in his speech, I don't know when it was, not recently, that he pointed, there was actually the Times did a retraction for some reason, didn't print out the rest, that uh, he was quoted as saying, um, that it should be up to the parents, and, and there is a connection. They should get vaccinated. With no, I know, but I'm saying they have him on tape saying, as uh, just as uh, he says, because there is there are some people who connected to autism, but then they, the Times retracted and they said that he really meant there was someone in the in the crowd who had. It's like a whole uh, thing. That Unfortunately, put this is really not about autism. It's about a parent's right to choose. Mm -hmm. Hundred percent. No, okay, so that's the issue. So in either case, question becomes: Can um, can should we mandate vaccinations, and can we force? I mean, and then like you're saying, can we force some schools not allow children to come in who are not vaccinated? This is a, I want to discuss it from the halachic perspective. Um, the because two weeks ago, three weeks ago, we discussed that girl being forced uh, chemotherapy. Right, which is a similar question, but over there it was just as an individual. Um, like we're saying, that's what's my individual rights? Do I have to treat myself? Do I have to treat my children? Here it becomes more of a societal issue because, like you're saying, if people aren't vaccinated, it could become an We've issue. We've also discussed prevention before. This yes, is so, this is, so this clearly, right, so we discussed prevention. The question is, um, can is prevention mandated? Meaning we know, we're going to talk about that, doing something which is dangerous to your health, is mandated in halacha, in Jewish law. The question is, what about prevention? Am I obligated to prevent? So, uh, I'm going to start with the Shulchan Aruch, okay, which is the code of Jewish law. So, this is a this is in Yeridea, volume Yeridea. Um, we've read this in the past. It's chapter 115, I believe. Let's see if I'm right. Actually, 160. So on this side of the page, this side, which is the Shulchan Aruch. So the Shulchan Aruch discusses here, and it becomes more, we'll see, it's a more principled question. Um, the, this is, the, the chapter here is discussing, um, the Talmud discusses that when one leaves water in those in those days, open at night, if you left your water, what's called, it's called the, the prohibition of Gilui leaving your water open at night. In those days there were animals, poisonous snakes and things that could come in and put venom in the water. So the Talmud says you should never leave water overnight and drink it the next day, Cover, uncovered, uncovered water. Okay, that's the issue. So um, it discusses that and there's a lot, as we'll see, a lot of discussion, obviously times have changed today. We don't, according to most, we don't care about this anymore because we don't live in a society that has snakes putting venom in water. Um, so therefore leaving, but there are still people who but there's an issue with mosquitoes, for example, standing water yes. attracts mosquitoes. Right. So, so, this, West, so this is what West the Shulchan Aruch, the Code of Jewish Law is discussing. So amongst that discussion, it gets into various other things which are considered dangerous, okay? 
um, discusses sweat, uh, a lot of different things. Um, so then it says like this. It says, I'm reading, let's see where it starts. Yes, so this is, this is paragraph 5. So it says like this, and you have it on here on your sheet, the top of your sheet. It says, you have to be careful. So it lists a bunch of things that, that they deem dangerous. Okay, it says, so one of the things it lists, it says, you have to be careful of putting coins in your mouth, money in your mouth. Shema Yeshele and Rokiovich, there could be saliva from someone else on it, other <laughs> disease. Shamuke um, which is some type of skin disease. So there, are, there might be diseases. They understood that, even though, by the way, this was written before the understanding of germs, but they obviously, I guess, from, from just seeing what happens, they understood that you can catch diseases from coins, which is interesting. By the Surprising the government the doesn't have, make you put a little sign on coins, coins saying, don't put this in your mouth. <laughs> Right. Actually, I have a nephew, and he was uh, 16. He swallowed a quarter. Um, Elijah's esophagus. And his esophagus. I don't know where. Well, that could be. Oh, yeah. And he was x-rays. He actually has x-rays. He's yeah. 25 now. He has... Uh, was, was the year 1984, the quarter? <laughs> I don't know. Because they all were from 1984, the ones that got stuck in the esophagus. They could oh, put a sign that Obamacare doesn't cover removal. Yeah, you have patients who have... We, I, we've removed tons of coins. Tons of coins. Okay. I always had a gold filling fall. Yeah. I was sitting I in my stomach. I took Ipecac. I threw up everything what? from the last three yeah, weeks except, except for that. that. <laughs> if your arthritis gets better, you know it's a gold filling. Otherwise, it's a coin. Right. So it's this again. You have to be careful not to put coins in your mouth. It might be dried saliva on it. Of people, diseased people, shouldn't put your hand in your underarm um, and you scratch your underarm. There's other ways that you might have touched uh, a leper or other other poison, which can, I guess, the assumption is that there's more, it's easier to catch disease through your underarm. I'm not sure why. Um, more, there's more porous, more porous. You're more likely to give someone a disease, right, actually. <laughs> this is all, this is all crazy. It's not crazy. So far it's crazy. What? The coins It really sense. isn't terrible. It does. It, it's well, primitive. It's, it's not crazy. It's primitive. Other kids put it's in primitive. their mouth. Yeah. Conceptually, though, time. they're trying to prevent disease the best they understood no, disease. It's, it's actually very, for, it's actually very forethinking. I mean, if you lived in the 14th century, it wouldn't be primitive. Not even, it's century. actually earlier. It's, yeah. This is smarter than we were, than, than most of the world was yeah. back then. Yeah, so yeah, saying what mean, they thought was preventative disease. Now, I'm curious, like, why they thought that. Because it's interesting, the human mouth is, of course, the dirtiest place on the earth. So we know that now. Right, no, I know, but the fact that they somehow wrote this down to find it that it was important enough to write down, that putting so a coin from the street in your mouth they must have had people that got diseases, mm -hmm. I assume. Sure. Or they thought got diseases. Or they well, we'll thought talk about that, that's the thing. We're going to talk about that, exactly what the basis for all this is. Yeah, I don't know what so, it is. So anyway, and the underarm thing, I, yeah, I don't I know, know many people getting sick from uh, smelling someone else's underarm or no, shaking so their hand sounds like, no, after they put some, their hand. No, the opposite. You're saying, you're saying the opposite. Remember, the big issue with shoulder surgery today is P. acnes. What's that? Uh, 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 acne. It's a germ mm. that lives in the underarms and it infects total shoulders. Uh. It's actually, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, big time. But that's if you do it's the amazing. surgery. Yes, but. I'm talking about just putting it on your underarm yeah, and then shaking some of the and, and people have hydradenitis is caused by P. acnes, and of course, if you. It lives in 
the sweat glands and can. You can't watch it out with the soap and water because it leads to the skin. And uh, you, it's a very serious cause of disease. Uh, and so, actually, I would want you to, if you want to scratch your own underarm, that's your business. But please wash your hand before you shake mine. Shake your underarm or scratch your underarm? Yeah, I scratch, I should wash Don't my hands. If I scratch my breath. underarm, I should wash my hands before I shake hands with you. Okay. So actually, the, the underarm is a serious place of disease. Right, it's interesting, but I don't know. Okay. I mean, I hear that it affects, you know, inside the body when you're doing shoulder surgery, but I'm not sure. I, I just don't know. It's the whether you put this. It's the drum from. It's the zit. It's, it's the I understand, but what does it come from? The hand, sweat. It's in, it's the in sweat. lives in your sweat. So now, if I sit there and do this, but only I'm the sweat of the underarm, specific. Not sweat, but uh, any sweat. Since it lives no, in my underarms. This is oh, the, the normal inhabitant in the underarm, and sometimes it becomes overgrown and becomes a source of disease. So there's unquestionably that this is a dirty place. Mm. It is as dirty, as, not as dirty as the mouth, but it's no less dirty than the perineum. Uh, it, it's a bad place. In fact, I watched a webinar from the Academy last week about infection prevention and, it had, and there was, you know, a talk about pea acnes in the shoulder. So Amazing. they're actually, they're pretty close to, they're, they're, they're pretty spot I, on here. I, well, yeah, again, I'm going to be the naysayer, of course, but um, I understand that you can get it under your fingernails, on your hand. I understand that. My question is, piacnes, if you shake someone's hand, even if you have like a ton of colonies on your hand, that's not where it lives. It lives in moist, dark, which you can, warm which areas. Which is like here. No, but I'm saying on your hand. It's not necessarily going to live on your hand to transmit it to someone else's well, hand. I think that we can give some. I think that we can give some cover to the author, to Cairo, who to thinking that this is not a good place. He wasn't thinking this. He was writing yeah, it down from other stories. Yeah. Yeah. He's, oh, he's, he's the same guy that wrote "Don't put fish and meat on the same." Correct. Plate. Well, he dangerous. Did. I don't think that's dangerous, but I do. Well, think he did. That, yeah. I don't yeah, so agree listen, with him on everything. Doesn't mean that he got every side more for more ahead of yeah. than we think. Okay, maybe. So let's okay. see. So he says like this. He says. Um, Again, don't put your loaf of bread when you carry it from, from the market under your underarm. Carrying it on, you know, people carry stuff like this. Saying don't carry your bread home like that. That's probably um, a good idea. It stinks. It just stinks. Because <laughs> yeah. right, of the sweat. This is a heebie-jeebie thing. Don't put um, cooked foods under your bed. So this is something that Talmud talks about, which is, is, it's not a medical thing, it's a heebie-jeebie thing, which is, there's a concept when you're sleeping, it's the 16th of death, um, your soul leaves you, so any food under your bed shouldn't be eaten after you wake up, if there was food under your bed. So that's because heebie-jeebies. the soul, the, well, the any time, let's say, there's a tumma, it's, it's a type of tumma, that's why we wash Megavas oh, in the morning. Oh, because you were right. 160th dead, yes, and therefore being around any kind of death... The food, makes the food too much. Yes, yes. So that's a that's not medical. The low yinot sakim esrim. Actually, I think that's probably more medical because that food <laughs> probably went bad overnight. Yeah. But anyway. No, but that's not just under your bed. That could be any. I understand. You're saying specifically under your bed. Okay. The low yinot sakim mitoch esrig. Do not stick a knife into an esrig, or betoch snon, or into an onion, and leave it there. Meaning this is just a dangerous thing. Shema yipol al 
chuda, it might fall on its edge, meaning on the blade, the yomus, and hurt someone. What? So it's meaning you're not supposed to leave a knife, like, stuck in like this. Why not? Because it's a fall over so many steps and roll over. cut themselves. It'll roll over. EPA. So it's just that, listing that dangerous made the things. Top list? So we'll see. So we're going to Except talk about what made the top value. list. Okay, okay, so now, now the Ramah, so that's Riviyos of Cairo. So the Ramah in his amendum adds a bunch of more stuff. Okay, um, so he says like this in the Ramah, that's the next print, the next paragraph. So Hagah, which stands for Ramah, who was who Ramosha Israelis, lived, died in 16. What's Hagah? Why do they call him Hagah? No, Hagah just means uh, amendum. Okay. Yeah. Okay. This is his little insertion. His amendment on, on Cairo. Yeah. So he lived in Krakow in the 1500s. He writes like this: uh, uh, <laughs> So too, one should be careful. So he's saying this list is not is not just things on this list. Anything that can bring to danger, you have to be careful about. Kisakanta Khamir Misuri says the famous statement, which is danger. We in Judaism we view danger as more. Uh, stringent than actual prohibitions. So it could be uh, Ten Commandments or um, your underarm, scratching your underarm. It's worse to scratch your underarm than to uh, than to and to violate one of the Ten Commandments. That's what he's saying. That's the principle. And this is applied because it's danger to your life? Yeah, because we view danger in Judaism, we view danger as a violation of meaning putting yourself in a dangerous situation is worse and more stringent halachically than violating any one of the commandments of the Torah. And this is applicable, it's applied in halacha, for example. Um, what about comes adultery? To I might go home and tell my wife. Yeah. That Even worse than adultery. Sakana is worse than adultery. Yeah, so the, the that is endangering is your life, though. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the point is, so the, the application, uh, I'm aware of one application in Kashrut, is that, uh, like we're saying, something, case of meat and fish, meaning we're more, more concerned of, let's say, uh, normally, if, let's say, milk falls into a pot of meat, so 160th is nullified. You could eat the, the pot of chicken gumbo or beef gumbo with, with, the, with the milk in it. It's less than 160th of the overall value. But and it doesn't change the taste. Yeah, well, that's the assumption. 160th doesn't so change the taste. So in other words, it's, 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 it's nullified. you should eat the trait than it is to eat something but that's dangerous. But if it's po a little bit of poison falls, and even if it says if it's less than 160th, um, you cannot eat it. Okay, that's a, so that's where you see that Seems application. prudent. <laughs> so it's better to eat the trait than it is to eat the poison. Yes, exactly. Okay, well that makes sense. Okay, so he says, so Suramah continues, um, he goes on, therefore he lists, uh, he says, we have to be concerned, more for a doubt of danger, question of questionable danger, than questionable prohibition. So if you, you know, if there's a case of questionable prohibition, we have law, we have principles that apply. You go with, after the majority, you, right, there's laws, if you're not sure, there's nine butcher shops that are kosher, one, uh, sorry, nine that are treif, one is, nine that are kosher and one that's treif, and you're not sure where this piece of meat came from, you can eat the meat, because you that's go after rogue. the majority. Right. But when it comes to sakana, we don't rely on majority. When it comes to danger to life, the numbers are irrelevant. You can have, you know, numbers don't play a role in deciding. Though it says we're going to talk about, it. you can be, you can violate Shabbat even if there's only a one percent chance of danger. Okay, we don't go with the majority. We say, well, the majority of these cases, you're going to be fine. Well, if, if that's the case, okay? what about that that, that, that talk that we came talked about yesterday? That should you turn the lights out on Shabbat? We talked about two weeks ago. Should you turn the lights out on Shabbat in the wartime? Alright, so it's a good question. Well, how does those, how do those that's do because it's defining defining danger. So it's a good question. That we didn't like that. Yeah. Right, and this puts a big burden <laughs> a on a big burden on science to demonstrate danger. 
mean, that's going to get back no, to the vaccination. No, on the contrary, we're saying it doesn't, because even if it's 1% chance of danger, even to we're still going to be Even to identify potential danger, puts a big burden on science to identify danger or even potential danger. Because people can say this is dangerous when there's absolutely zero science supporting it. And, yeah, so. and other people can say, well, I don't care even though it's dangerous. But this, but this is a good question because it gets into the issue of the, exactly. the vaccination, like which is you know, if, if, even if there's anecdotal cases, so the parent can make the claim, listen, exactly. I don't want to endanger my child for exactly. because there's a 1% chance that it might get autism. So it's a question, so we'll get to it. Well, there's point. always a 1%. What, but the incidence of autism, it is about 1%. It's got nothing to do with yeah. vaccines. But okay, it is. So that's a good point. But that doesn't mean people won't say it. Right, so that's a different question. Obviously, if it's back science, if, then if there's no science, then that's not dangerous. I mean, there has to be some basis for the danger. So, but let's see. That's a good, very good point. Um, he goes on to say, um, He says, Therefore, we prohibited going sakana, any place that's dangerous. Okay, found in Southwest. Um, for example, under a, a, a wall that, you know, that's teetering, a teetering wall. Okay, a leaning wall. Going out late at night by yourself in those days in society was it was dark there was no electricity so le- going out traveling late at night in by yourself um is is prohibited same today yeah depends which neighborhood but yes it was in bel-air there was a car there was a carjacking last year, two days ago on pocahontas and ferris mm. did you see that no it's prohibited to drink from the rivers at night water or to put your mouth on a uh, pipe uh, of water, lishtos at night. Because these things have have within a, a certain level of danger. It could be a, a what's those things called a leech, right? Be a leech in the water, or some other parasite in the water that that you can't see during the day. You see what you're drinking. You can filter it, but at night you don't see what you're drinking. So putting your 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 drinking directly from the stream at night, he says, is prohibited. Um, and he quotes the Rambam here. He says, "Minuk pashut." It's a it's a obvious uh, custom. Shalolish does mayim b'shas hatkufa. I don't know what this means. At certain times of the year, they do, wouldn't drink water from the stream. So again, I don't know if this is heebie-jeebies or this is science. I don't know what this is. Chen kasva kadmonu ve'elishanos. And he says the the kadmonu, the original early authorities write this, and therefore don't change the custom, even if today it might seem not so dangerous. Od kasvu. Um, this is very, very relevant to our our situation, our topic. He says, Odkasu, it's also written, you need to run away from the city, um, you need to leave the city, when there's a plague in the city, when there's some kind of disease in the city, you're obligated, says, you have to leave the city. You can't stick around where you might catch a disease. Like that. Yeah, so very, very clear. Um, and he says you have to leave the city at the beginning of the onset of the disease if there's, a, if there's an epidemic in the city he says you need to leave in the beginning you can't wait around and say let's see what happens not at the end he says all these things are because of danger someone who uh, who's worried about his soul or his, his life should further himself from them <coughs> and it's prohibited to rely on a miracle. He says, you can't say, listen, I'm a religious person. I have faith in God. There's an epidemic in the city. I'm a good person. It's not going to affect me. He says, it's prohibited to do that. All to endanger yourself in any such similar situation. So, uh, so he says very clearly, 
um, the, the Ramah is taking the list of Cairo, of the Shulchan Aruch, and it's saying, and expanding it, not just to these limited cases, but he sounds like he's saying to any, any case of danger. So, you know, whatever is defined as danger, if it's bungee jumping or cigarette smoking, whatever it may be, um, he's saying it's included in this list and it becomes prohibited. Okay, so the, the, the question here becomes, is first of all, two things. One is, is it specifically limited to these mandated things? Um, the Yosef Kair is listing specific things that are brought in the Talmud, it seems like, and they're, man, they're mandated things. Um, so can we now expand it and just say, okay, this includes any danger, or is it specifically the mandated things? Um, the question is, is there a general prohibition to do anything dangerous? That's question number one. Question number two is, most, almost everything on the list here were things that are not to do. Don't put money in your mouth. Don't uh, mm -hmm. put the bread in your uh, on your well, underarms. The, the problem is that you have a trouble. The, the people who are not one of getting back to our crazy parents, they think they're protecting their child by not vaccinating them. Mm -hmm. So it's not like that. You know, it's not like you know. You don't find a lot of uh, from people that bungee jump. So they might actually use. So they, might they say, "Well, bungee jumping is a bad thing." I so they might use the shulchan aruch to justify they their position. Yes, they that, that will that certainly because the vaccine is dangerous. That would be their well, argument. Well, that's some parents. Some are just the granola type who. That's know, granola. It's the same it's granola thing. type. No, granola type is saying, you know, we don't do anything. We don't. It's poison, like you said. The New York Times quoted. It's poison. It's. I don't want to put poison in my kid. You know, that's not. There's nothing to do with the danger. You know, it's. I guess they the think argument that is they're dangerous. protecting their children. I guess what happens is, is that they finally realized that the, 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 the military-industrial complex didn't kill Kennedy. <laughs> there is a larger issue here which kind of gets at the problem another way, which is in our situation, we're consulting the Torah and the Talmud for guidance. So the concept is this, we consult a set of beliefs that give us kind of our instruction manual for life the granola eaters or whatever, what do they consult? I mean, by and large, they consult their heart, themselves. How do I feel about this? The media. Well, whatever, but That's they right. don't... Hollywood. I mean, so there's a larger issue that we turn to halacha to see what's the right thing to do because we believe that it's in our best interest to pay attention to halacha. They don't have... Uh, no, but again, they can make the same argument. Yes, Halakha says I have to watch my kid. This is dangerous no, to my child. They, he just, they, Rabbi, Rabbi Teller just told us that he got a, a few days ago, a woman called the nurse in, I don't know, in Methodist, that she wants, to, the hospital wants her to be vaccinated, and she wants she wants a letter from the rabbi saying that she's religiously exempt. Okay. Did he give it to her? Yeah. No. He's a, he wrote so her a letter much. saying she's a good standing member in the, in the uh, synagogue. But, but so, so meaning, so they'll use religion. You can use it both ways. No, no, but there the was an article the majority, in, the, in the vaccine that. community. The majority of the people are not observant Jews. They're people who, by and large, aren't observant well, are. of any religion because they don't consult their religion to see how should I take care of my body, how should I live my life. So that's a larger issue here because it gets down to what do you believe. And here we have a belief system which says offers us guidance. They don't necessarily refer to a belief system for their guidance. It's much like he says, the media, their heart, or their neighbor, or some hey, Yeah, but I'm saying we're talking about in general, even for there are many religious people who will buy no. into this stuff. Unfortunately, I, I, and, and, yeah, I'm not sure where your argument is going. But if you're dividing between secular and religious, you, you threw up the word granola, but secular often will go with science. That, that's not an uncommon no, thing. 
that's a whole different issue. I they, understand. They, they go with their guidance of science. They could go with science. Yeah, they could. No, you're right. Right, the question is, but we're saying in this case, science is, there is no science yeah, we have saying the people connection. That, people that are, are, are observant, whatever religious group that they, belong, that they belong to, typically go with science. Even the people that, even at First Baptist, where they believe in evolution, every one of those scrubbed, blonde-haired, cleanly scrubbed, blonde-haired, blue-eyed children all are vaccinated. Well, in, in, it depends. In, I mean, in the I world, think there's, there's in both worlds. There's, there's well, in the world, in the world at large, particularly in medicine, we all deal with science and religion often seem in conflict. What's, I think what, what's very helpful about the halachic system is they try to reconcile science and religion, whereas often there's no attempt to reconcile science and religion. Right, but there also is or. a certain skepticism in science in, in, in certain religions. So there is a this For sure. skepticism. So just because the government is saying we should vaccinate, it doesn't mean, you know... But that's one of the beauties of the halakhic system. They acknowledge that the science exists. They don't say, right. don't pay attention right. to it. But the problem is you have, unfortunately, you have individuals who don't yes. know the... the don't describe. I'm just praying a Even within the religious the community. Problem. Out of curiosity, can you say that because of their Jewish faith, they're religiously exempt from vaccination? So that's the question. I mean, so far, not. Well, let's see. I don't know. Listen, if there was truly a problem it was endangering. Let's say there was true science saying there is a danger to children. So then it becomes a different question. Now you have the individual versus the society. Meaning, as a society as a whole, we need to vaccinate because otherwise they'll be we'll go back to epidemic days and polio or whatever it is. But as as an individual, listen, my child, you know, I don't do I want to take the risk for my child because there's well, one in twenty thousand people do take the polio vaccine. Do do there's risk from every vaccine. There's risk from every vaccine. So that yeah. becomes a question of individual versus but society. Doesn't that so, so someone could make that argument. Does like, halacha not have a prohibition against circumcising a, a, a male and on the eighth day that may be hemophilia? Yeah. Yeah. So therefore, you know, the halacha says you shouldn't take risks. Yeah, as you just said, when's a risk and when isn't a risk? Yes. So well, that's a that's a question we want we need to discuss. How do you define risk? How do you not in Allah? Because we're saying what it's saying here. Shulchan Aruch just mandated anytime there's a risk, you can't you can't part you can't allow that risk, the danger. So the question becomes, how do you define risk? Which is something we've been discussing. how do you balance risk? There's definitely a risk from every vaccine. Some vaccines. I mean, I've confronted this in my own personal life, when you're polio, the risk of the vaccine versus the risk of getting polio, it's no comparison. But when you go to the Orient, you say they offer you a vaccine for Japanese encephalitis. Mm-hmm. has some serious risk from the vaccine. Mm-hmm. Japanese encephalitis often fail. So how do you balance that risk? Uh, so we'll get to, that's a very that, good question. The, the other issue becomes, which is the other argument, which many parents make, is it's the old voting argument. You know, if everyone is vaccinated in society, if, not, if 80% of society is vaccinated, so there's no problem with my kid not being vaccinated because it's the chance of him getting the disease since he's going to a school where, you know, 99% of the kids are vaccinated, so why do I have to vaccinate my Herd kid? Herd immunity. Right, immunity. the problem yeah. is that if everyone makes that argument, obviously, right. but but I'm saying that's a very valid argument in a certain sense. If everyone's in the 20%, then there is no... Right, but the, the granola parents are saying, listen, we're only the, they are only the 10%, so why, sh- why should I put my kid at risk? If they're not gonna, they really don't need to put a risk. So, so that's the question. So, uh, so first, I want to start with the question of, of really, is this specifically mandated, mandated prohibitions here, or not? Um, meaning, is it only these things that are mentioned in the Talmud that we view as danger to life, so to speak, or not? Because, but, and there was another place in Shulchan Aruch, it's the bottom here where it's discussed. Um, 
we'll get there in a second. Um, so, so I want to just show, first of all, Moshe Feinstein says he has a prohibition, he has a tshuva here, nothing to do, not related to this at all. He's actually talking about playing music on Shabbat. Meaning he's talking about when you can change a rabbinic enactment, if it no longer applies, if the rationale no longer applies, which is a big <coughs> discussion in Judaism. Obviously there's differences between conservative orthodox, what the view is on this, but he, he's discussing this. So he mentions this issue of, like we're saying, uh, water, uncovered water. In those days it was, uh, it was prohibited. So does that prohibition remain in place today where we don't have societies where snakes go and put venom in water, okay? We don't have leeches in our open water. So does it still apply or not? So he says, so in that discussion he mentions a very interesting thing. He's just defining danger. So he says, um, below dumb, he says, this is not comparable. He's talking about the reason why we prohibited playing music on Shabbat, by the way, just as an aside, parenthetical, in musical instruments the Talmud prohibits on Shabbat because people might come to fix right. the instrument. If your guitar string breaks, you're going to connect to the guitar string. So the argument is that today most people can't, don't know how to fi make instruments themselves. So it's irrelevant. The rationale is no longer applicable because we don't build our own instruments. You take it to the shop, so you're not going to do that on Shabbat. So that's, so that's what he's discussing. So, so he, goes on, he goes on to explain why even today there are people who can fix it, etc. And he, he doesn't permit it. But he says, well, dummy, it's not comparable to this, what Tosfus, um, the commentary in the Talmud, writes, attracted of desire that Edna de Zmanazet also says, in our days, Shaleka, um, sorry, that's a different thing, the Kivan is our time, Shum of the Akshasha, of our time. He says, when there was a certain concern for danger to life, and that danger is no longer applicable, so then he says, so therefore the original enactment, the rabbinical enactment, is no longer applicable. Okay? So that's what uncovered water. We don't have snakes in our society where we live in our urban areas. We could drink the water. There's no problem. You can leave your water out overnight and drink it. The Shambi Artia explains that Davar Shabiminyan Shayib Isagili. He says the reason why they enacted, let's say he's giving that as an example, the uncovered water. Says even though even in their times he says the 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 concern that a snake might have put venom in the water is a very small concern even in their times he says so he's saying fascinating thing he's explaining the concept he's saying of this list he's saying the things that the Talmud enacted because of danger only because even then there were very little danger involved. He says if there were real dangerous situations, no you, you wouldn't need the Talmud to enact them. Yeah. Obviously, people, if the, the Torah says, yeah, yeah, you can't put yourself in danger, you don't need the rabbis to tell you what's dangerous. He, so he's saying the list of things that the rabbis prohibited are things that were very far, in, meaning it was very low risk. The Talmud, doesn't say don't the Talmud doesn't say don't, don't jump, jump off, off a bridge. Cliff. Right, exactly. You don't need the Talmud to say it. Exactly. It's not on the list here. He's saying the only things they enacted were things that in those days were were very low risk. But still the Talmud felt like, therefore they felt like that uh, prohibited. Um, so he says, and therefore he says, uh, one second. So he says, so they said, no, this is still considered dangerous. Even this low risk, we're going to say this is dangerous. Um, and therefore they put it into the category of risk to your life, even though numbers-wise it shouldn't have been prohibited. Um, so he says, therefore, therefore, in a place where there's no snakes at all, where that, even that minimal risk didn't, doesn't exist. So he says, obviously, that was never included in their enactment, and therefore it's irrelevant today, you don't have to worry about it. Okay, no, so, so what you see, I just want to point out, so we see from Ramosha is 
that these things on the list are things, even like they were saying, the other arms that were very low risk, but still they felt they enacted it. But things that are really risky, he says that's obvious. Those are surely included. You don't have to have a list for that. So vaccination is in which category is that in? So that's a good question, depending on which society you live in. But, um, so, that is, so that's a fascinating thing I found, just defining the risk. Okay, so By now the way, regarding water and snakes, as a pool owner, I can tell you, one of the dangers of owning a pool where the water drains into the system is that poisonous snakes get into your system. So most pools have something... Even in like a place like you used to? Yeah. So most places have baskets where you gather up leaves and stuff like that. And periodically, there's reports, you reach in that basket, there's a copperhead or something mm -hmm. sitting in that thing. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> now, it's a very low-risk proposition. <laughs> but the people who clean pools all the time, it's a, it's a work hazard for them. That especially when there are heavy rains and snakes wind up going into all sorts of bizarre places, they wind up in your pool. <laughs> So, uh, they they have, you know, I had a snake in my pool in my house in Lake Conroe. A little wooded area. Oh, it yeah, it, there's a little liver. It, it even happens snake, in Houston, poisonous. but it, I'm not surprised out there. Out there, I had one king Well, it's a question whether they're poisonous or not. No, they're know, big. I don't think it was poisonous. So it's not a totally, even today, yeah, no, it's not totally uh, far-fetched. Right, as I said, an urban area, but it's just, you're just you're saying it's, uh, it's still fascinating how they chose these things. West U is not, is not urban. No, it's not. <laughs> what do you say? It's, yeah, no, it's, why I they mean, pick I understand this. now they're trying to explain why this list got yeah. on there, because right. these normally you wouldn't have been concerned about, but even so, these right, ones, saying, they are concerned. Risk, but it's right. still, it's funny. It also gets so back to the science, because this is the rabbi's assessment that there's some level no, of risk. No, I don't think this is the rabbi's. I think there was something culturally that they all understood that certain of these things were not good for people. They well, saw this, and the rabbi's Yosef codified Caro was saying it. He's codifying it. He codified it. it. I mean, but this was But it may have gone back several hundred years. I agree. So, sure. this is, so somehow... Yeah, no, well, a lot of them are from the Talmud itself. Sure. He's, he's just codifying yeah. from the... But that gets back to the science of this belief, or science that, you know, don't go like this with your underarms, yeah. seems to have persisted, even though in nowadays we might say it's ridiculous, we might not. So yeah, but what, like, what is I, know, I heard, I heard what is that the Talmud say about uh, global warming? We don't know whether, you know, whatever it said, we don't know whether it's science or... Michigas. You know. Let's go to global warming today. Right. Well, the, same <laughs> people that, the global warmers people are the same ones that aren't vaccinating their children. <laughs> right, because they say the vaccination causes holes no, in the ozone layer. Causes holes in the ozone layer. Same granola business. And they eat so, granola. So I just want to show you one other thing, which I found in Shulchan Aruch, in a different place, than when it's discussing the laws of Maka, which is building a parapet on your roof. Mm -hmm. um, so the question is, at which, how high, I mean, it's not just on your roof. The Torah says mandates, you have to put a parapet, which again, you see the Torah is mandating danger to society. Um, so it's question is how high. It's not just your roof, meaning even a stoop. So the Shulchan Aruch rules that anything above 10 tfachim off the ground, which is very low, needs a parapet. Now the risk, if you think about it, the risk there of someone... What's it? Some a tevach? Tevach is a handbreadth. So it's around maybe it's 10... It's, let's say it's around 3 inches. Okay, your average handbreadth. So 3 times 10 is 30 inches off the ground. Which the risk of falling there, I mean if you fall like what's going to happen? You know, maybe break something, you're... you're what do you ankle. Right. I'm saying so. It's still right. It says you have to put a pair, which is a so it's pretty low risk. You see here again the definition of risk is pretty low. Um, so right, that's what it says there. Um, but uh, the other thing is I want to point out now. 
So, this, so, so, um, so you look at the last line in the Shulchan Aruch here, just to the last mm-hmm. bottom, I'm not going to read all, all the prohibitions, but it says, It says, anyone who violates any of these things which are danger to life, and he says, Listen, I'm doing it to myself. Now, what's your business? Which is what the granolas are saying. Listen, I have not vaccinated my own kids, right? He says, What do others, Shulchan Aruch is explaining this, he says, what, what do others have to say about me? It's my life. What do others have to mix in with me? Mm-hmm. Mac, or he himself is not Mac, but he's not careful about this. Mac and also Mac is martyrs. He says you actually you flog him. They take him into court and he deserves to be flogged, which is a rabbinical flogging. He says people are careful about these things. Will get uh, much blessing. Okay, so so again, so the same people violence, they should be flogged. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not a totally, it's not a totally irrelevant issue because from the, the other side is as a doctor treating somebody, a pediatrician who refused to have their kids, a pediatrician treating uh, kids whose parents refused to allow them to be vaccinated. Some pediatricians refuse to treat the kid. They say you need to go find another doctor. That's not quite flogging, but it is saying ramification. It is rejecting the that particular aspect of parental care and parental right. Mm-hmm. I mean, this comes up often when you dis- you recommend mm-hmm. something to the patient, they refuse. Mm-hmm. You fire them for it. Uh, is this a firing it offense? Depends on what the pe- what they refuse to do. Exactly, and they, but in vaccination, pediatricians do fire parents mm-hmm. who refuse to have their kids vaccinated. <coughs> And that creates a whole other issue. Is that an appropriate thing to do? Or should they take it even further and flog them? Well, I don't know if you flog them, but I think, the, I think that, I mean, I... You say I'm you have a right to fire your patients. I think I don't think I would treat somebody that won't vaccinate. I don't think I would. Yeah, like he said, by the way, it could be a liability because for a physician. They might get like he mentioned uh, before. In your waiting room right, exactly. Right, exactly. If you have a, no, a child in your waiting room coming in who might have uh, measles, measles yeah. and and your whole waiting room could be affected. Right. That's right. So, so yeah, you that's, could, you could be liable. I wonder if there's ever a case. That is one liability, and and the other thing is now this is something for the doctors who probably agree. You know, lay people may not agree with this, but. The same person that won't vaccinate their children, you're going to have nothing but service from them. Mm. <laughs> in general. And the same people are not going to pay their bills. Well, it's not about the bills. <laughs> Forget the bills. We don't make any money anyway. It's the, the issue is that that same person, and I know people must be, the pediatricians must be, there. there's going to be nothing but service from this patient. They're the same <laughs> one that wants to deliver it from with the baby no, underwater. No, you do. Oh, I mean, yeah, he's right about that. I have patients gosh. who are just idiosyncratic in the extreme in the sense that they don't believe in anything. That's con- they come to the doctor, yeah. but they, mm-hmm. by and large, don't do anything you ask them to do. That's right. And the question is, again, do you fire them for that? Why or not? just accept, look, you don't have colonoscopies, you're putting yourself at risk for colon. Are you willing to accept that? Yes. You don't have mammograms, you're pretty, are you willing to accept that? Yes. So you, you, know, you document it, but in a certain sense, they are harming themselves, although there is a cost for them being neglectful. Or diabetics has come up Often, you know, they're very overweight, or they won't take their pills. I mean, what? You know, yeah, yeah, but at least they're not uh, harming every other person. Or they smoke. That's, that's what he's or they smoke. I mean, that's what he's saying. The gentleman is saying you can't say, "Well, listen, they're not harming anyone else, so it's not, it's not their problem. It's not society's problem." Actually, you are harming other people. You get somebody with TB who won't you take medication. You don't want you that. You tell me to stop smoking. I'm not going to stop smoking, and now I'm going to drop dead. Now my kids are going to be on the streets. My, my children, uh, well, you know? no, you're going to have to pay for my illnesses no, generated healthcare. by smoking. Oh, yeah. So, uh, so it's the cost. So, so, so that if you don't do preventive medicine, that's why the insurance companies figure that out. Then you, then you're going to end up spending more at the end of the day. 
Well, but that's a whole another subject whether we actually save money with preventive medicine because, you know, the these what, one argument about why medicine used to be so expensive is guys like us would drop dead when we we're 50 years old, and then we wouldn't get all these chronic illnesses that old people get that are very expensive to care for. So that middle-aged men who drop dead of heart attacks were very cost-effective. That's right. Now we don't do that. We don't drop dead. We have bypass surgery and all that stuff. So it's so preventive medicine is not necessarily less expensive. There's another issue. I have a different... Uh, all these are related. Another, yeah, They're all related. I just want to finish. We'll do it at the end because I want to get to the, to the good text. So, so anyway, so the, I just want to point to the other thing which I pointed out before. I just want to stress it in the original paragraph of the Shulchan Aruch. So we asked the question of what about you know, all these lists? Most, almost everything on the list. What we're saying is are things that you should not do. Right. Don't put money in your mouth. Don't scratch your your underarms, etc. Okay. But w nothing's preventative. That's saying don't put yourself in a dangerous situation. But the Ramad did mention, which is a very important statement relevant to us. He says very clearly that if you're in a city that there is a there is an epidemic, you need to leave the city. That's clearly preventative. He's saying, and not only that, he says explicitly, you have to leave at the beginning of the epidemic. Don't wait around. Well, what about the whole start, discussion uh, we had about prevention with vision and everything else? From uh, yeah, so that they do bring that, that Sicilianism. But the point is, so, he, but, but that's that's c contemporary authorities. Here you mm -hmm. have the Ramah saying mm -hmm. explicitly, list, the danger is not only, don't put yourself in a dangerous situation. It's proactive, yeah, it's, doing, it's prophylactic, it's doing things that in the future... If you don't, do, if you don't do these actions, take action in order to prevent disease. Which is applicable because measles could be considered like a plague right, if you don't. Right, which is vaccination. Yeah, vaccination. Exactly. No, it's meaning if you wouldn't make, if you wouldn't say that line here, you could make the argument that everything else is just saying you can't place your life in danger. But I don't have to be proactive about preventing a future danger, which is what vaccination is. But this statement of the Ramah that says very clearly, "Leave the city." You're obligated to leave the city because of the salacha. Is very clearly saying unless you take prophylactic you could add, unless you're vaccinated. Right, he's very clearly saying that preventative medicine is also obligatory in a certain sense. And again, the question then becomes, how far do you take it? Does that mean I'm obligated to, to exercise every day for an hour, halachically mandated? I mean, because where do you draw the line? Now, it's now because if, if you can make the argument, studies show that if you you know exercise daily, then you're going to have less health problems. So so it well, it's a, a slippery slope because. Basically, you tell me I have to exercise. That's a serious issue. I'll give you an example. Um, what's the guy's name who invented dialysis? Oh, it was a uh, uh, tough guy. Uh, I could see his face. I knew him, actually. Anyway, he comes up with dialysis. There's never been a controlled study of dialysis because it's obvious. It's like jumping off the cliff. You don't get dialysis. You die of kidney failure. But there's never been a controlled study. But at the other end, you have... Other things, which yeah, maybe the maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. The science gets down to is very um, right again. So, but listen, I think everyone agrees today. Uh, exercising daily, but exercise is that category. I'm not necessarily. That, uh, I don't know. At least I don't know that sense. I would assume any. Yeah, I would not assume that necessarily. There's some advantages and disadvantages to exercise. We don't know anything. Don't you <laughs> okay, know so, that so, uh, so I want to show you two fascinating things. This right, was written, bit. if you turn to the back to the page, this was written by the Yachin Boaz. This is a guy who lived, I believe, in the... His name is Wilhelm Kalf. That's his name. Kalf. That's the guy yeah. who... So this, by the way, is, is a Mishnah. It's my father's whole set of Mishnah. So this is tracted Yuma. Um, so the, here you have the text and then you have the commentary. So there's a commentary on the bottom known as Teferit Yisrael, the bottom of Mishnayis, written by some, someone without his name. Um, 
and I believe it was written the end of 1600s, early 1700s. So he's talking about actually, I believe, what's smallpox. And he discusses it because this is going, he's going on the Mishnah that discusses the question that we mentioned before, which is how much, how do you define numbers when it comes to danger? So he discusses, it's the famous case in Yuma, which we've discussed many times in the past, where you have a building collapse. Underneath the building, there's someone who's, whose head is smashed open. Um, it's on Shabbat. So, so the question is, for obviously for rescue, you're allowed to rescue, violate Shabbat to rescue someone. The question is, this guy's only going to live for an hour anyway. His head is smashed in. He's totally, he's only going to live, you know, maybe lucky for another hour. I'm still, says the Mishnah, I'm still allowed to remove the rubble, violate Shabbat, to save his life, even for Chayesha. Okay, even for short-term mm-hmm. life, where the guy's only going to live for a few minutes. So based on this, if I can find it here. So to Deferis, so this commentary says, and here if you have it's on the, so the bottom paragraph, mm-hmm. on the second column, if you can read such small letters in the Rashi print. So it's uh, letter Gimel. Gimel, I got it. See the Gimel? No, I mean, I'm not even trying. It's too small. Right, you see the Gimel? <laughs> okay, so yeah, the Gimel. He says like this. I'll read I it see Gimel too, actually. He says, Mizan nearly had to says this, this again. This is uh, 1700s. I don't know when was smallpox. Uh, in the 1700s, the I'll find out. Okay, so. I mean, generally, like smallpox. It was hot in the 1700s. Alright, so he said like this. Mizan nearly had to lassos. He says, from here, it seems to me from this mission, he's bringing a proof. That one can do inoculation. Look, he writes it straight out. 1700s inoculation. I don't know. It's a it's a Latin term. I don't know where what the term inoculation comes from. But he writes it in Hebrew. Inoculation, shelf packing, packing smallpox. Mm. Okay, that's the Hebrew word for smallpox. I guess. Pocking, that's great. Okay, so he says from here it seems the permission to do inoculation of smallpox. Even though he says one in a thousand die from the inoculation. Okay, so in his days, I don't know what it is today, but he says one in a thousand people die from the inoculation of smallpox. inoculation. I'll call upon him. He says, um, He says, if you allow the, the smallpox to take, to naturally to, to, to take effect, so there's more risk by not taking the inoculation. He says, you have a better chance than one in a thousand. If you get the inoculation, one in a thousand die from the inoculation. But he says, if you don't get the inoculation, you have, he's claiming you have more risk of dying, of getting the smallpox. For a chain, he says, therefore, you're allowed to place yourself into this risk by taking the inoculation, because you're risking your life, one in a thousand. Rechoka, to, to, to worry about meaning a further risk, in order to save yourself from a closer risk. So he, that's what he, he says straight out. So he's saying when you're weighing the risk benefits, you're making the analysis. So he says you have to look at the numbers. Over there, numbers do play a role. So I have, if I take the inoculation, the risk is one in a thousand. If I don't take the inoculation, he doesn't say the numbers, but he says the risk is much lower of, of, getting, of contracting smallpox. And he says, therefore, he says, I see from this mission, which I'm not sure how, what the leap is, but he's saying, I see from this Mishnah, you're allowed to take a risk, a small risk, in order to prevent a larger risk. That's what he's proving. Because again, halachically, maybe, many times in halacha will say, be passive. If there's two risks, maybe I should be passive and not take the... So he, by the way, he just says you're allowed to. He doesn't say you're obligated to. Because this plays a role in many surgeries, as we know, let's say, t- getting someone needs bone marrow transplant. To, you're allowed Right. So he says bone marrow transplant... Um, right, so there's a host versus graft disease. There's many risks involved in in, so in the surgery. Allowed, right, so you're he's saying you're, 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 you're not, right. You're he not says, commanded. He says nearly hector. Right, he just says you're permitted. He's proving from here that the numbers 
can tell you, the numbers will tell you, allowed, now by the way, he's saying if there's a greater risk, it sounds like you wouldn't be allowed to, meaning uh, obviously, if, you know, you can't take a greater risk, and this is, becomes, a, as we know, we discussed this at a conference one, how much risk you are allowed to take in a surgery. So let's say there's a greater than 50% risk in having the surgery, and you're surely going to die. So then you might not be allowed to take the risk, or even 35% risk. So that, that is dependent on numbers and what risk you're allowed to take. But he's saying, when it comes to inoculation, he says very clearly, the risk um, outweighs the benefit, meaning, sorry, the benefits of taking inoculation, in, at least in this particular case of smallpox, in his time of one in a thousand, he says die. It's interesting how they even knew that, that they had studies then, or I don't know how they knew that number. In the 1700s, I didn't know they, they even but, had numbers. But you said that you were allowed to. Well, I mean, yes. we're it doesn't make you obligated. So the question is, right, are you obligated? So that's a good question. He says, and then he goes on to bring a proof. He says, um, so he brings, what's his proof? He says, he continues on. He says, Varaya Brura, he says, my proof to this is Ladivre Mashakasa Rabbeinu Yosef, I don't know who this is, Rabbeinu, someone, Batur. In the, another codifier, B'shem Yerushalmi, he brings a, Jeru- a Jerusalem Talmud that says that Chayv Adam Lahachnes is Atzum B'Safik Sakana K'Day Lahatzel Chaverim Mivadei Sakana. That means you're obligated to. The Yerushalmi says, a famous Yerushalmi. It's questionable if the Bavli agrees with this. That uh, you're obligated to put yourself there's a to save some. To, you, you're obligated to, in a certain sense to risk your life to save someone else's life who's surely going to die. Meaning there's a certain risk if I jump into the pool to save the drowning victim, right? But I'm obligated to do that, he says, according to Yerushalmi at least, to do that, to place myself in a doubtful risk in order to save someone who's for sure going to die. Okay? Hmm. So he says, you see the same concept. that so uh, Jumping in a river is not the same thing. What do you mean? Because the concern was, you can put yourself at risk by jumping into a river to save someone from drowning, but the issue is you have to make an assessment at that moment if it's too risky. Yeah, so again, so how much risk? Obviously, yeah, that's going to play a role. If you don't know how to swim, you don't have to Yes, jump for sure, and then you're not allowed to jump But if you do know how to swim, well, if you do know how to there's swim, no you're obligation, to which I like. There's no obligation, but you can. Well, I don't know, here it's interesting. Yerushalmi is quoting, says, yeah. Sounds like you are obligated yeah. to jump in. Yerushalmi, nobody right. follows Yerushalmi. Yes, so that's, that's <laughs> a question. Who cares? It's garbage. We, we <laughs> don't want to follow that one. It's garbage. <laughs> nobody was even living there. No one cared about it. Hooray. He says, Yerushalmi is from Jerusalem. People were like, 10% of the Jewish population left Babylon and came back to Israel. 90% said, go ahead, have a good time. 7,000 people came back. So, it was a, that was the number 7, approximately? People. So, it's like nothing. No, 70. But whatever. It's not the point. So anyway, he brings he brings further proofs to this. I want to show you one other last thing because we're gonna run out of time. Uh, so, so so the point is he is clearly discussing inoculation. Um, where he, where he says one second where he says very clearly you need to look at the benefits versus the risks, and then if the benefits are more important, are better, the numbers are better, then you have to go with the benefits, or, or at least permit it. You're right. It doesn't say have to. The word to, inoculation can. comes from the Latin, which means to graft in or implant. It was first used in the mid-15th century. Inoculation, but the word uh, inoculation itself was first recorded in the word 1714, generated his work in the 1760s. This is, this is before this. Oh, yeah. when is his work? Do you look him up? Jenner's? No, this guy. Who, who, who what was, year did he write? Um, his name, I'll look him up. Tiffany, I'll look up here. Clearly, he's getting it from somewhere else. If they yeah, could I don't do, think he what did were the they studies. talking about? No, he uses the word inoculation. Yeah. Right. 
which according to this was not really used before 1714 although it was known from the mid 15th century with a different meeting so I think that might be wrong uh, it was not used because this guy was before let's see let's see when he lived what's his name I don't remember we're going to look him up. <laughs> yeah, like we have the name of his commentary. Oh, I see. His name. Israel Lipschitz was his name. Now you know. Um, let's see, Wikipedia. They have now, there's a site I found this. It's called Halachapedia. You can look up any Halach. Lipschitz? Israel Lipschitz. Here's a picture I 1782 to 1860. Alright, so he would have been aware of the word inoculate. Yeah. Yeah. He was the chief rabbi of Danzig. This is the picture, actually. The picture. So by 1782, the word is not... Does it look Jewish? <laughs> it looks Jewish. So, okay. by the end of the 18th century, you know, the end of 1700s, the word inoculate was widely understood to it's vaccinate. Nice it's like Dumbledore. It does look like Dumbledore. Before that, it wasn't necessarily meant to vaccinate. It was only by the end of the 18th century, after Jenner's work, that the term inoculate meant to specifically to vaccinate somebody. Uh, but he's using the term here for smallpox. Yeah, smoke that's pox. interesting. So he was, he was in the early up, 19th century. Up on century. the time, Germany is probably where smallpox was invented. The inoculate was the vaccine for Oh, Jenner was British. Oh. Yeah, but you know. But he wasn't Germany, the first one. He was Germany not the first one. Jenner did not invent vaccination. There were many people tr trying to exactly no, but this, what he the did. Small pack, the small pack I'm stuff. saying many people were trying to deal with smallpox. Jenner was the one who succeeded, but many people didn't uh. be long before he showed up on this. I want to show you one last thing before this is fascinating. So I found from Shlomo Zalman Orbach, he's discussing here defining risk. So his proof is from inoculation. This is a very interesting thing. So the, qu the question becomes now, um, can I violate Shabbat for inoculation? If we're saying there's a risk, meaning how does it work? You know, our old question of lefanecha, not lefanecha. My kid needs, a, let's say, I call my doctor and he needs the flu shot, whatever, some, you know, whatever shot. And the doctor says I only have an appointment Saturday afternoon. I mean, a lot of violet Shabbat. Well, the measles, get the, the measles get the might be more appropriate because it was an epidemic. Your kid wasn't vaccinated, right. but they so do I have to go in today? I mean, yeah. can I violate Shabbat? Uh, mm -hmm. So, what would you say? Can you violate Shabbat to get the inoculation? And there's no other way that you can get the inoculation. So that's the question. He says, oh, you know, many times you call the doctor and say, okay, I can see you in three months or I can see you, you know, Saturday. So do I go in or not? Hmm. So, he, so he mentions well, this. not really practical. not really practical. You get a flu shot in every... Yeah, well, not a flu, whatever, you know, some other inoculation. You know, somehow like only one person that can give it. Right, the truth is today with the flu shot, because they always run out these days. <laughs> so the question is, you don't go quickly. Well, it would make sense for measles. If there's a measles or polio. Then you're 50 polio. years ago, polio would make sense. But I mean, polio. the flu shot it sounds like you could probably wait till, till after. So let's look what he says. So look at this last paragraph. It's the last um, top half. So the Indian, Indian Iker Hadover. He's defining, it has nothing to do with the, the response, I'm not about this, it's defining risk. So he says, This is who died around 25 years ago. He says in Israel, How do we define what's considered doubtful danger? How do we define what's, because Safet Pikuach Nefesh, you're allowed to violate Shabbat, even for a suffect, I mean, even for a doubt. Of course, you're allowed to violate Shabbat. And what's not defined as, as suffix? Where do you draw the line? Meaning, it's, it's endless. Because like we're saying, it could be a point, you know, there's one scientific study in some journal that says this might be dangerous, barbecue is dangerous. That's the autism issue. Right, That's exactly, exactly how it came about. He says, He says, I'm also 
I'm not sure. So he admits that it's a very hard thing to define this risk. He said, I'm, I'm also very in doubt about the question, about the doubtful question. El-Shemitzad Asfar, he says, but logically, Nirol Aniyastaiti, it seems in my humble opinion, the culture derech rov b'nei adam livrach misei. So he says a very interesting principle, which is not so scientific. He says, we have to look, Halacha, he says, doesn't go necessarily with the scientific numbers. We, we look at what society does as a whole. What is society considered dangerous and what is society not considered dangerous? He says that's an important factor in, in the sign of Allah because as we discussed way back when with smoking, there's a concept called Shomer Pesai Hashem. God uh, guards the foolhardily. That's a verse in Psalms. Just like we're saying, there's a bigger chance, listen, there's a chance of someone getting smallpox or someone dying in a, in a car accident. Dying in a car accident has much higher numbers. Right? If you look at the person's lifespan, what the chance of dying in a, in a, in a car accident or dying from smallpox, even without inoculation, numbers are much lower. So, right, do you say, so therefore you can't drive a car? No. So he's saying that we don't necessarily, halacha doesn't necessarily look at the scientific numbers as much as what society views as danger or not, and that's going to define danger. There's a secular so, quote like that, which is culture trump, uh, trumps everything, basically. So uh, I don't know if he's saying that, but look what he says. He's, he defines it. He says, the derech rov adam If he says the, the the most of society runs away from this, their their n- instinct is to run away from this. As they run away from danger, So then we consider that halachically as There's a downfall danger. There. So if society runs away from this. And therefore we call, we apply the verse that says you shall live by the commandments and not die by them. And therefore don't take that risk. If society brands this as dangerous. But he says, If most people in society are not concerned about this danger, we don't consider that a danger. Okay, so let's say, like we're driving on the 610. Driving your car is, is dangerous, there's no question. Driving a, a you know, Corolla, or a Fiat is dangerous in Houston. You got right? Mini Cooper. But, but we don't prohibit that halachically. We're not going to tell you it's prohibited to drive a Mini Cooper because it's the, it's the numbers will show you a bigger chance of getting killed. Um, he says a somewhat analogy to this situation is is inoculation for children. So this is what he says. He says, says even though if you're looking at technically from the halachic viewpoint, that really you should get the inoculation as quick as possible when a child is born. Halacha would require that. Preventative medicine. He says, he says, but, no, he's not a but. He says, if, if the doctors tell you, and medicine tells you, this is the time you're supposed to get them, at 18 months or whatever it is, six months, this inoculation, you need to get it as quick as possible. He says, halacha would mandate that you have to get that inoculation as quick as possible. Af, um, he says, Ach, Af a pikein, even so, even though that's true, ain't regrilin, klal lasos behechalus is We don't say you have to go to the doctor today, you know, as soon as the child turns 18 months, you gotta get and you take off from the day of work and take the kid to the doctor. We don't say that. He says, Achim beemes yesh bezek sakana. Even though by delaying it, there might be, based on the, what the doctors say, some danger involved. Havalei kemoshe kasev chazal, as our sages have written. Ve'idno shom apsayim Hashem. 
God watches the fool heartily. And therefore, he says, of course, it's prohibited to violate. He says, God forbid to violate Shabbat to go get your inoculations. So even though technically we could say, listen, delaying it by one day, there's a chance there's a the, the doctor say you know you could contract the illness. Don't delay. But he's saying no. We don't say. He says, God forbid to say we violate Shabbat for that. Masha'enkein. But listen to what he says. But the exception would be he says echad he says if someone finds himself in a place where he knows clearly if he doesn't get the inoculations immediately he's going to have to wait five or six years to get them so meaning so let's say yeah, you're, you're in uh, you're leaving to a guy on a trip to, to Zambia well, you're not, they don't have these inoculations, okay? And if you don't get them today before you leave, and this happens, by the way, with oil, oil employees in the energy industry, before you, they send you to Africa, to these, you know, these West African countries, they make you, you have to get a list of inoculations. Or if there's a shortage, you've a few vaccines left, and you, you don't know when those are going to be available. It could be exactly. a year, it could be two. So he says, so he says it's as if you're in a situation like that, he's situation. since society is concerned in a situation like that, the shah is to wait, so in a case like that, then he says it's possible that you would be allowed to violate Shabbat to get the inoculation. So he's saying normally, you know, delaying by one or two days is not is not an issue, and God forbid to violate Shabbat. But he said in a situation where he, you're not going to be able to get it for a number of years, if you don't get it, so of course he says in that case you got to violate Shabbat. It's a very interesting definition of of the of the risk. What do you say? You think and you think. Makes sense. It makes sense. And this is a major problem. I mean, it came up with so many vaccines. I'll give you an example. Adults started getting Pertussis, whooping cough. And most adults our age are vaccinated uh, against whooping coffee, tetanus, diphtheria, and pertussis. What they discover is that, well, how come the adults are getting pertussis if they've already been vaccinated? Well, it turns no, out. they say there's neurological complications from that. Oh, pertussis is a nasty disease. People die. No, no, I'm talking about from the vaccination. No, no, they really are not. They're, they're, that's what he quotes here, actually. And what happened is the vaccine. Figure, listen to this. He says, figures available at the time suggested a risk of serious harm attributable to pertussis immunization of approximately 1 in 10,000 to 1 in 20,000 cases. This is all the stuff that was later retracted, like Lancet. Sorry. So that uh, adults, well, the, the vaccine does not give you lifetime immunity. So you have to get vaccinated as an adult. Well, then the issue is where the hell is anyone getting pertussis Because they're vaccinated. Well, right. It gets exactly to this issue. The reservoir for pertussis are infants before they're vaccinated for uh, pertussis. So you have infants who are carrying pertussis, may even get pertussis. Their parents were vaccinated, or their grandparents were vaccinated 40 years ago. They get it because the vaccine is no longer effective. So the recommendation now is that after you finish your series of vaccines for the triple vaccine, which is usually around 14, that you get another booster shot at least you know 10 years later, so from age 24 on. So, so all of you have never had another... I, I'm going to have a grandkid, May 6th. Mm-hmm. Well, so I should get, thank you. So I should get a vaccination. Totally, absolutely. Visit my grandkids. First absolutely. get a cigar, then get the vaccine. You should get, end off with the there's no single pertussis vaccine. You have to get, get the triple TPC. vaccine. There's no okay, well, I'll, I'll, just in case I encounter a rusty nail. Right, but I mean, you need a tetanus vaccine every ten years anyway. But the, the bigger risk, you really is pertussis, not tetanus. Right, I know. Right. So then I just want to end off. So this, he, Rabbi Tetz, the guy we didn't like, came here many years ago. He he posed this question to Rabbi Yashiv about cases where, I meaning the question is, parents would make the argument, as you mentioned before, the fact that 
if all the kids are vaccinated, so why do I have to? I don't have to vaccinate. It's not harming anyone if my kid is not vaccinated. Okay, so he, so he says this raises an obvious ethical question: Is it proper to impose immunization on an unwilling minority when the population they are part of is already immune to the degree that no epidemic is likely to occur? On the one hand, why impose such an action? The minority is not endangering the majority, which is already immune. But on the other hand, it is, a more, is it moral for such a minority to? Quote unquote, ride on the immunity of the majority has been achieved at risk to each of the individuals compromising that majority. And of course, there's always the danger that the minority will grow to a critical po- proportion such that an outbreak of disease becomes possible. Okay. So he, he posed this question to Rabbi Yashiv in Israel. Uh, he the says, answer was Pshita. Pshita what? So he says the question was posed to Rabbi Yashiv rule that the parents should accede to immunization despite their concerns. Sure. When asked if the reason behind his ruling was the issue of fairness, and the obligation to share responsibility, Rabbi Yashav indicated that it was not. His reason was that since immunization of children is normal practice, again, getting back to this, throughout the world, one should follow the normative course. In fact, Rabbi Yashav went so far as to assert that failure to immunize would amount to negligence. Okay, so, so he's saying very clearly, um, Rabbi Yashav ruled that again, it's called negligence they're, they're if you don't immunize down children. to cultural norms. And would that yeah. be criminal negligence right. if somebody what gets measles because you didn't get vaccinated? Or pertussis. No, well, he's saying well, that. It's always a problem with cultural norms. You can it become a cultural, carrier. It was cultural norm to be a Nazi in Germany in the 19, 1930s. Well, no, but it's int- I always find it fascinating when halakha will... Succeed to cultural norms. By the way, that argument's not uh, an irrelevant argument. Cause oh, because here it's, it's a halakhic principle of Shomer Pesayim Hashem. You only see when the culture is doing something, when the society at large is doing something, even if there's risk involved, we say God watches over them, meaning, you know, part of society is always idiots to a certain extent. So therefore, so there's, it's okay there's less... So it's okay to be idiots, right, too. Exactly. Culture of being idiots, you could be... But that's a fascinating... Yeah, um, it's, a, it's a very strange uh, rule, law. Yeah. Yes. Because no, normally, Allah loves to be countercultural. The assumption is the, that. that God is not going to... He can't permit. say he's going to permit danger in the whole society. The Holocaust might put a little dent in that theory. <laughs> no, that's intentional. The question is when society on their own. So, so it's a it's a interesting law, very interesting law, which was why Moshe didn't want to prohibit cigarette smoking in its day, because society at large was smoking. Okay, now the question is the numbers, what the numbers show. Uh, that, 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 that's insanity, though, that he would not do that. Right. I mean, even well, today, there's no one that wouldn't. Today, today, there's no one that wouldn't prohibit. But, but even that that logic doesn't make because, sense. by the way, it's only in our society because it becomes such. It's only on the on the was, edges. Was it society smoke today. It would just but make people, the Jews look so different. It would make us look so abnormal. Since when are we concerned but, about no, that? That's my point. Is I thought <laughs> we were never concerned about <laughs> it, and yet here so, all of a sudden we are. But it could be saying no, you can't get it's, you can't get out front of the science or in front of the culture. It's just ridiculous. You you can say whatever you want. Right. It's not going to help if everyone's going to smoke and you say this is not. What are you talking? Who is where? where we would change the subject from vaccination to smoke. How no, they no, use it as just, another uh, I'm saying this same principle that we're saying here, God guards the foolhardy, which is, that's the principle he's saying. Right. If culture is doing something, even if there's a slight risk involved, the whole culture, the whole society yeah. is doing it, we can't, we can't put that in the category of, of danger. So, Ramosha Feinstein, actually, when he was asked numerous times about cigarette smoking, he didn't, he didn't prohibit it because of the same principle. He said it fits in this category.
www.ghostbusters.org. Shalom. <music>